This is what Holy Scripture says. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And with what little appetite we had, we somehow still managed uh, to eat our way through all the soup that was in our house. You know, the kind of food that you eat when you're sick, soup and bread, the only kind of stuff you can stomach. So we got most of that down. We got through all of that. And we got to a point where we were desperate for sustenance. So we hopped on our computers. We ordered food through the wonderful Walmart Supercenter online grocery store thingy. And we're all happy because we put in our order, and even though we felt pretty terrible, our food was supposed to get here the next day, first thing. First thing. So praise the Lord. This is fantastic. Praise the Lord for uh, gr- grocery stores, online technology. So the next morning rolls around, and nothing. And then lunchtime, the afternoon rolls around, and nothing. Then the evening comes, and the evening goes. N- nothing. So we're thinking, okay, no food. This is odd. So the next day comes, and the same thing happens. Two days go by, and no food, even though it was promised to us. So in that moment, our trust, our confidence in the multinational distribution wizard known as Walmart was shattered, and that stung. I know that's a silly story, but the breaking of trust can be one of the most painful human experiences. No matter how insignificant or small, betrayal produces pain. But on the other side of things, on the other hand, trust and confidence breeds delight. And God goes through great lengths all throughout the Bible to demonstrate that he is worthy of our trust And confidence. In fact, that's what we see in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, it shows us to delight in God. Why? Because He is a faithful God, because He is always faithful. Psalm 23, King David paints for us a vivid picture of a Christian's delight in His God. That the Lord our God is a faithful shepherd who will guide us not only through this life but through the valley of the shadow of death and bring us into his house to dwell with him forever. In fact, I want to show you this morning that Psalm 23 gives you two really helpful and really concrete reasons why you should delight in the faithful God of the Bible. Number one, because he is your good shepherd. And number two, because he is your gracious host. Now, before I jump in and show you why you should delight in this faithful God, let's set the stage a little bit. As Pastor Steve read the psalm, the psalm begins, verse 1, a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want. Now, it's a familiar psalm. What we usually do when we read Psalm 23 is we read those words and think, okay, God is my shepherd. And if you're a Christian, that's not a wrong statement to make. God is your shepherd. But if we're too quick to read ourselves into this psalm, we can miss so much of what's happening here. Now, never, not every psalm in the Psalter comes with a title in the original Hebrew, but Psalm 23 does. And we're told that this is a psalm of David, meaning David wrote this song, this psalm. And so we have David declaring, Yahweh is my shepherd. What do we know about David? Well, we know that David was a shepherd. We also know that David would be eventually anointed as king of Israel. And a part of this, that David and God enter into a unique covenant with one another. And here in this unique covenant, the special covenant known as the Davidic covenant, God promises that David will always have an offspring of his on the throne of Israel. And God promises that he will always be faithful to David and his family. What else do we know about David? Well, we also know David's life was a little messy. Being a shepherd is tough work. He spent most of his life in military battle as the king. He sinned against God in some very serious ways. He also spent years eluding Saul, who wanted to kill him. And then at the end of his life... He spent a good chunk of his time eluding from his own son who wanted to kill him and take over his throne. This guy has been through the ringer. I mean, he's seen more ups and downs than probably you and I may ever see. And yet here in this psalm, he declares, Yahweh is my shepherd. That's powerful. So David uses a picture that he's very familiar with, uh, a picture of a shepherd. If anyone were to know the duties of a shepherd, it's David. And he would know that a shepherd provides, a shepherd leads, a shepherd guides and protects. But when David says that God is my shepherd, that's very personal language. What's he doing here? Well, he's giving us a personal testimony, a personal account of the Lord's unfailing faithfulness to him through all of those highs and lows. You see, it's one, thing, it's one thing to know God as a shepherd. It's another thing and an entirely different thing to know God as my shepherd. It's one thing to know about God through family and friends and maybe even believe in God. It's an entirely different thing to know him as your God who has cleansed you from your sin and who has guided you personally through life. And because the Lord is David's shepherd, because he's experienced nothing but this covenantal faithfulness from God, he realizes that he doesn't need anything. This is what he means when he says, I shall not want. That is to say, I shall lack nothing. David is saying that he is so well cared for by his good shepherd that he doesn't need anything else. Even in the face of crisis, he doesn't lack anything ultimately because he has God. Because he has God, David confidently deduces that because God is his shepherd, he's going to faithfully shepherd him through life, through all of the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs. This brings us to our first point, delight in your good shepherd. And you can delight in your good shepherd because he provides. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So what's a sheep need first and foremost? 
food and water. A good shepherd provides both. Now, there's a difference here. A green pasture is significantly different from a brown, dusty field or an oversaturated, muddy mess. A green pasture would be a lush place for a hungry sheep to find food, while a dusty field wouldn't produce much grass for a sheep to feed on. And even further, a green pasture is a perfect place for a weak, feeble lamb to find rest. Likewise, a calm stream would be an ideal place for a little thirsty lamb to get something to drink. Imagine an anxious, unsure-footed lamb trying to crouch down and get a drink out of the rough waters of the Niagara River. That's not going to go well. If you've seen the rapids there, it's dangerous. This little lamb would potentially even fall into the river and get swept down the stream. The current's too strong. Now, we don't know the exact context of Psalm 23, but it's very possible that the psalm was written later in David's life. And if that's true, I'm reminded of when David fled from Saul in 1 Samuel 24. David ended up finding refuge in a place called En Gedi. Now, to this day in Israel, En Gedi is a nature preserve. I've been there. It's a beautiful place. It's an oasis protected by all sorts of rock formations, all sorts of brooks and rivers and still waters. And so I can just imagine David sitting here in En Gedi, and he's surrounded by an oasis, taking his rest by the still waters that his God has provided for him. And so now David is looking back, reflecting upon that time of peace and provision. And he says, God has provided me rest. Last year, I went on a pretty epic portaging trip that includes canoes, if you're not a portaging fan. A pretty epic portaging trip to Algonquin. It was uh, an amazing few days. I saw my first moose in the wild, which I think that means I'm officially Canadian now. But one of the things I enjoyed most was the mornings, because the mornings in Algonquin are some of the most peaceful things I have ever experienced. And if you've been there, you know you'd experience this. The, gla- the lake is like glass. There's not a sound in the air. It's so incredibly peaceful and restful. And as much as I enjoyed that time there, and as much as it, as, as it was peaceful, it doesn't hold a candle to the kind of peace that God offers. And that's what David is saying here with his imagery in Psalm 23, that the good shepherd provides rest and peace For your soul. Now, anyone who is familiar with the Psalms and anyone who experiences life, which is all of us, we know that life is not always marked with tranquility. And David's own life demonstrates this very point. And yet, David says that God provides green pastures and still waters where he can find rest. So, what's what's so powerful that it provides rest for someone even in the face of really challenging circumstances? Well, it's less what and more who. It's God himself. David isn't saying that having God equates to a life of tranquility. David is saying that when God is your shepherd, having God as your shepherd means you have rest for your soul even in the face of danger. In fact, you can translate the second half of verse 2 as he leads me beside waters of rest. So the picture that David is painting here. He paints a picture of serene rest, the kind of rest that only comes from God, the kind of rest 
internal rest that trumps external hardships. The kind of rest only comes from when God is your good shepherd. And this is what the good shepherd has provided for you, Christian. Rest and peace for your soul. So delight in your good shepherd because he provides. Secondly, delight in your good shepherd because he leads. Look down again at verse 3. David says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now this verse is a little tricky. ESV translates the Hebrew phrase here as paths of righteousness, but it can also be translated as right paths. I think regardless of the translation, the sense here is that God has always led David down the right path in life. And I think we see this concept, the concept of the right or godly path, uh, often in wisdom literature. There are two paths placed before us in the Bible, the path of folly and then the path of wisdom and godliness. The beginning of Proverbs, if you're familiar with this, the king Solomon says to his son in Proverbs chapter 4, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And then just a few verses later, the, the wise king says this to his son, ponder the path of your feet and be very careful to choose the right one. Two paths, two paths laid before us. Be careful to choose. God says the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 30 after Moses reads the law before Israel. He says to them, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. So again, we, we have two paths placed before them. And they need to be very careful to choose the right path. And just like the wise king who guides his son and the God who guides Israel, Yahweh is the shepherd who guided David back to himself. You know, it's so important to be going in the right direction in life, especially when you're on the highway. It'd be a terrible thing to rip onto the 401 in the wrong direction. That would be terrifying. We know how fast people go on the 401. But praise the Lord, we have access to the good shepherd who keeps our footing on the right path, headed in the right direction. But David doesn't stop there, does he? He said, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What's David mean by this? Well, God is first primarily concerned for the integrity and honor and faithfulness of his own reputation. He will lead me, says David, to protect his own name, to protect his own reputation, his own namesake. Remember, David was in a special covenant with God. God had made promises to David, promises to keep him and his sons on the throne of Israel. Even in spite of David and his sin and his folly and his shortcomings, God protects his own promise. And by protecting his own promise, he protects his own character. There's an old saying, a promise is only as good as the one who makes it. People break their promises all the time. But God never breaks his promise. He's always faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And so David, recognizing this, declares that Yahweh is going to lead him according to the character of his name. What do you have here? You have David glorying in his God, confidence in his God. You will lead me because you have said that you will lead me. You know what you have here, loved ones? 
You have a promise rooted in the trustworthiness of God's character. And Christian, I think that this is the kind of truth that you and I need to take to the bank. And here, here's where Stevie Wonder's words ring true. Your sign sealed, delivered, but by the good shepherd. And the salvation that you have in Christ is secure. There's no take backs. This incredible salvation that has been made yours through Christ is rooted in the trustworthiness of God's character. So if you are in Christ, if you are a son or daughter of God, no matter what gets thrown your way, God's going to carry you through. He's going to lead you in the paths of righteousness for his namesake because you belong to him. Now that phrase, he restores my soul, that begins this verse, that's music to our ears as Christians. As Christians, we experientially know what it means to have our souls restored. And so does King David. It was here on this path of righteousness, the right paths, where David found his soul restored. That verb restores uh, here means to take back, to turn back. Excuse Excuse me. So like a good shepherd with a wayward sheep, God graciously turns David back to himself. Again, we know the life of David. We know his sin, his folly, his error. But David had his soul restored when he turns back to the good shepherd. It's the good shepherd who provides soul restoration for David and for us. And this is constantly what God is doing. He's constantly turning us back to himself. Soul restoration only takes place by the hand of the good shepherd. It's the good shepherd alone who saves our souls. Now again, we all experience life. We know the sin that we deal with. We're very familiar with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we know that these things are constantly working against us, constantly working to get us to deviate from the right paths, constantly working to get our eyes back on ourselves. And it's on this path of sin and self That leads to death. But God, as the good shepherd of our souls, is constantly calling us back to the path of righteousness and goodness and godliness. Because it's only on this path where we find life. And as we read the Gospels, isn't this not what we see with the Lord Jesus? He's constantly calling us to himself. He says, I am the door, come to me. I am the bread of life, come and eat. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Loved one, Jesus Christ himself is the path, the only path to God. And so I have to ask this question, which path are you on? Are you on the path of righteousness and godliness? Or are you on the path that leads to death and judgment and hell? If you are not on the path of life, I want to urge you today. I want to plead with you. Come to the Lord Jesus. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ that in him you might find life and call upon him as your good shepherd. So delight in the good shepherd because he provides and he leads. Third, delight in the good shepherd because he protects. Verse 4. Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
I want you to imagine for a moment a sheep without a shepherd. That'd be a really scary sight because sheep are very dumb animals, really. They are some of the dumbest animals in all of the animal kingdom. They're particularly skittish. They have no means to protect themselves. They're small. They're slow. They have a difficult time finding their own food and their own water. It's no wonder that the Bible often refers to us as sheep. That stings a little bit. So a sheep without a shepherd would be a particularly scary thing, say, in a place like Africa or the Middle East. You've got lots of predators over there, lots of deserts, lots of treacherous terrain. Now really, the reality is that this was all of us. We were lost, helpless sheep without a a shepherd. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says this very thing of us in Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But that's not the case with David in Psalm 23. In fact, David has incredible confidence in the good shepherd and the fact that the good shepherd is near. And because the good shepherd is near, the good shepherd will protect him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I love that. The phrase the shadow of death can literally be rendered as deep darkness. It's as to say, even when David goes through life's darkest and most trying experiences, he's not going to fear. Why? He has no reason to. Because God is with him. Because his faithful shepherd is there. Now again, we know David was a shepherd. As a shepherd, he probably led his flock through lots of treacherous terrain or even dark valleys. He often fought off lions and bears to protect his own flock. But now he's the lamb. He's the one who needs care and protection. And he's comforted because his good shepherd carries a big stick. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So a rod and a staff, a rod and a staff were the two essential tools of a shepherd. A rod was a heavy club that the shepherd would use to drive off predators, and he would never whack the sheep with his club. A staff, on the other hand, was a long, slender stick with a hook on the end of it, and it was used to grab the sheep by the neck and gently guide it in the direction that the shepherd wanted it to go. So when a little lamb gets off track, the shepherd doesn't beat it over the head with the club, No, he gently refocuses the energy, grabs the sheep with his crook, and places it back on the right path. In many ways, because these tools, the rod and the staff, were so central to the work of the shepherd, they were seen as an extension of the shepherd himself. A shepherd would never be caught dead out in the field without his rod and his staff. He would never leave them in the field alone. Where the shepherd was, there was his rod and his staff. And where the rod and the staff were, there was the shepherd. So that's why David says that the rod and the staff of God comfort him. Because he knows that when he sees these tools, he's in the presence of the faithful shepherd. And really, what I think this is, is this is an incredible picture of confidence. Confidence that David has in his God. He knew that no matter what dark valleys he would walk through, he was safe. And he, he understood, because God is there, I can fear no evil. He's with me. This is what the faithful shepherd does, loved ones. He provides. He leads. 
and he protects. And brothers and sisters, you can trust your faithful shepherd. You can trust this good shepherd. He'll never lead you astray. He'll never forsake you. He'll never do you wrong. He'll he'll only ever provide and lead and protect you. And you know what else that, that, that this good shepherd has done for you? He sent his own son for you. That his own son would lay his life down for you. The Gospel of John, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Loved ones, you can trust God because the faithful God who carefully guided David sent his own son, who is the good shepherd, to guarantee your safe passage through the darkest of valleys that is death and judgment. And as the good shepherd and the greater David, Jesus ultimately fulfills the Davidic covenant and becomes the king who leads his people perfectly from the throne of David. And as the good shepherd and the greater David, Jesus lays down his own life as a sacrifice that grants us entry into the kingdom of God. And as the good shepherd and the greater David, who goes to the cross and who would die and be resurrected, and because of his death and resurrection, he guarantees for us an everlasting hope. You can be assured, we can all be assured for the Christians here today that you have a living shepherd who will stop at nothing to secure the good of his sheep. He demonstrated this for you on the cross. This is why the Apostle Paul would say what he says in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up, us for, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I don't know about you, but for me, it's a delight to trust this kind of God. A good shepherd who provides, a good shepherd who leads, a good shepherd who protects, and a good shepherd who has sacrificially laid his own life down for me and my sins. We can trust this shepherd. Now, not only should you delight in the good shepherd, but Psalm 23 also calls you to delight in your gracious host. So we have the second big metaphor in Psalm 23. The good shepherd becomes the gracious host. So the shepherd steps out of the field, he steps into the kitchen, and he puts on an apron, and he serves his guest. God is portrayed as a faithful banquet host who has invited David to this luxurious feast. So in a sense, David takes us out of the fields and brings us into an even more intimate setting. And here's the first reason why you should delight in your gracious host, because he grants victory. Delight in your faithful host, your gracious host, because he grants victory. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
In ancient Israel, to have a meal with someone implied a close relationship with them. This is why Jesus was often mocked by the Pharisees when he ate with sinners. It's not unlike that today. When we have someone in our homes, we grow in relationship. I'm sure we have all experienced that. It's very special to have someone into your home and and share a meal together. That deepens the relationship that you have with that person. And so Yahweh has invited David into this special banquet where David is the honored guest. And even more than just a luxurious banquet, his feast, this feast, takes place before the enemies of David. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So we're kind of hinted at this trouble earlier in verse 4 when David mentions that he walks through the valleys of deep darkness. But now the trouble is made very clear. David has enemies and his enemies are pressing in around him. But what does God do? Yes, he offers protection for David, but by preparing a banquet feast in the face of David's enemies, God is declaring that David is the victor. God is flaunting David before his enemies. It's as if to say, this man has won, I have won the battle for him, and you as his enemies have lost. And actually, when we read the Old Testament, we see this often in the Old Testament where a conquering king would bring those who he's conquered into his banquet hall and they would have to watch him feast and celebrate his victory. So this would be pure humiliation for those who are conquered. Now, most of you know I grew up in Buffalo. Growing up in Buffalo means that I am a Buffalo Bills fan. That's an NFL team for you non-sports fans. Last year, all of the gala men, which there was like 20 of us, went down to Jacksonville for a Bills game. This was an amazing time. Now, to make a really long story short, the worst part of this game and this experience that we spent all this money going all the way down to Florida for is we lost the game. It was terrible. And if you don't know anything about football, there's touchdowns and field goals. Touchdowns are really exciting. There was no touchdowns. It was just field goals. It was a terrible game. Anyways, we lost. The worst part about this game was leaving the stadium. Having to walk out defeated and watch all of the Jacksonville fans celebrate and revel in their victory. See, I was an enemy of the Jacksonville Jaguar fans. And as, they, as I saw them celebrating, I realized even more that we were the real losers. They triumphed over us. And it was pure humiliation for me and my family and all of the Bills fans that day. But this is what God does with David's enemies. He makes it very clear that David is victorious and that Yahweh has won the battle for him. As the text goes on, God anoints his head with oil and provides an abundance of drink, so much so that David's cup overflows. In ancient Israel, oil had many uses. It was a kind of medicine, a kind of balm to the skin, but it also was used to wipe away dirt and grime and to prepare people for special events, special festive events, like a feast. But also, wine was seen as a celebratory drink, a festive drink, and an overflowing cup was a sign of God's abundant blessing. This wasn't a sign of a cup of judgment that David was drinking. This was a cup of divine blessing that was poured out for him by his gracious host. And this is a picture of incredible provision. Now, this isn't the first place 
where we see God preparing a table of provision for his people. In fact, another psalmist picks up on similar language. In Psalm 78, you don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 78, the psalmist is reflecting back on the time of Israel's rebellion during their wilderness years. And the psalmist says this as he reflects back in Psalm 78, verse 19. They spoke against God, saying, God can spread a table in the wilderness. Sorry, can God spread a table in the wilderness? If you can remember the story of Israel's rebellion in Exodus 16 and 17, Israel was just miraculously delivered from 400 years of Egyptian bondage and slavery. Moses led them out of this bondage. God parts the Red Sea, swallows up the Egyptian army that pursues them. And yet when they're in this desert, not too long into this desert wilderness, they're wandering around as free people, I'll remind you, they begin to grumble and they doubt God. They think that God won't provide for them, that he won't provide food. So much so that they want to go all the way back to Egypt, back to bondage. But what does God do? Well, he provides for them. He provides manna and quail. He spreads a table for them. When the biblical story connects all of these dots, God is telling us through his word that just as he can provide for his people in the desolate wilderness, just as he can provide for um, David in the presence of his enemies, just as he can provide for thousands of people with five loads of bread and two fish, God can provide for you. And so when David is surrounded by threatening enemies, he doesn't fear. The opposite is true. He, he delightfully trusts God because he knows that he's in the presence of his gracious host who will let no harm be done to him. And it's this gracious host who has won victory for David. Isn't this exactly what we see at the cross, loved ones? Victory and provision. The ultimate provision of saving grace given by Christ's blood poured out for us and his body broken for us. And the final victory over death and Satan where the heel of the Savior crushed the skull of our adversary. Because of this, we as Christians can say, along with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. So delight in your gracious God because he grants you victory. Second, delight in your gracious host because he grants you ultimate victory. David ends Psalm 23 with a personification of God's attributes. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Personification is to apply human attributes to something that is not human. It's like when we say the sun smiled down on us or the story jumped off the page. So David connects the special relationship that he has with God to the special privileges that he'll receive from God, namely goodness and mercy. Now here in the English, this word mercy in the Hebrew is hesed. And hesed is a covenantal word that we usually translate as steadfast love. When we say that it's a covenantal word, we mean to say that it's a particular word that captures the actions of God towards someone who he's in a special relationship with. 
So a covenant is a promise. God makes special covenants with lots of people all throughout the Bible. He makes a covenant with Adam, Abraham, Noah. He made a special covenant with Israel. And God, as we heard and seen earlier, makes a special covenant with David. He promises to keep David and his sons on the throne of Israel. So again here, David is saying God is a God of his word. That God is a God who keeps his promises. And David recognizes this. And because God keeps his promises, he will do nothing but act in goodness and steadfast love toward David. God will be faithful. And because the good shepherd has led, guided, and restored David's soul, and because the gracious host has invited him in and brought him close, David has confidence that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and that he will dwell in the presence of God for all eternity. So what do you have here? You have ultimate victory. You have victory over death, victory over life's trials, an eternity of celebrating this victory in the presence of the very one who procured it. And praise the Lord, Christians, we can say the same thing. The good, the good shepherd has restored your soul. The gracious host has brought you in close. And all of this was done through the good shepherd who guaranteed your salvation. Now, when we think about what happened at the, at the cross, Jesus' body and his sacrifice was literally a new covenant broken for us, a new and better promise. In fact, all of the Old Testament promises, all of the Old Testament covenants point to Jesus. It prepares us for a new and better and perfect promise. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 8, verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the new covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted and better promises. So what's the promise mentioned here in Hebrews 8? Well, it's that all of the Christian's life is tethered to the truth of the gospel. That God died for sinners in order to bring us into relationship with him. And that through the gospel of Jesus, you become a child of God. And that through the gospel of Jesus, God promises to keep you forever. And that through the gospel of Jesus, goodness and steadfast love will follow you all the days of your life. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christian, you will dwell with the Lord forever. So brothers and sisters, I want to call you this morning not to trust Walmart it's going to let you down. Your credit line is going to let you down. Your friends and your family, as much as we love and appreciate them, they're going to let you down. But trust the Lord. Place your confidence in him and delight in him. He will never let you down because he is your good shepherd, because he is your gracious host, and he'll always only be faithful because that's who the God of the Bible is. He's a faithful God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for being our good shepherd. We thank you for being a faithful God. And even like David, we sin. We're full of folly, and yet you are so faithful, God, even in the face of our faithlessness. God, calls us to delight in you and to love you 
and to look to you. And God, continually remind us day by day that you're our good shepherd who we, we can trust and you're our gracious host that we can trust and delight in. We love you and thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.